Cool. Well, we uh, have got a few notices uh, just as the uh, parents come back. Uh, tonight, uh, we're back downstairs, and uh, Simon's doing a biblical uh, theology session, so that'll be uh, really good. We've enjoyed uh, those so far. Uh, and on Tuesday nights, uh, we've got our refresh groups. Um, if you are not in a refresh group, then do speak to, uh, to Neil afterwards. I'm sure he can uh, help you out and point you towards uh, a refresh group. That'll be on Tuesday. We've got our, our reading now, so do uh, grab your Bible and turn to uh, John chapter 1. We've been going through our uh, series in the book of John, and we've got to at the end of chapter 1. So we're going to be in John uh, chapter 1, verse 35, uh, and going to, to the end, verse 51. So John chapter 1, uh, 35 to 51, which is page 1064, if you've got one of these uh, red Bibles. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus said, saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. O'Neill is now going to come and uh, bring God's words to us. Thanks, Sam. We'll keep that passage open in front of you. You're going to need it this morning as we get into the end of the first chapter of John together. And what you might not have realized, while Sam was just reading is that you heard Jesus' first words in John's gospel. Uh, they are there uh, in verse 38. Have a look down. It says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? The first words obviously are important. What do you want? And I uh, guess what Jesus is saying, we've got an older version of the Bible there, is what do you seek? Or what are you looking for out of life? That's what Jesus is talking about. I googled that, and the answers are very predictable for people around in our culture. People are very interested in their health, 
They want to be well. People are very interested in having a, a happy family and friends. People want love. People want purpose, passion, and happiness out of life. Um, I don't know if you aim for more than that out of your life. Maybe you're still at a point in life where you think, I want more than just that. Uh, maybe you want to be someone significant, someone influential, someone who's going to change the world. Maybe that's still your ambition. If someone said, what do you want out of life? I want to make a difference. Maybe for you, life's just really hard. Maybe you've been bashed left ways, right ways, all around. You don't know whether you're upside down or the right way up. And mentally, physically, emotionally, maybe you just feel spent. And life's been pretty tough, and it has been for a long time. And all you'd really like out of life is a bit of peace and to feel safe in your own skin. Life's been hard. I don't know where you are in all of that. In Jesus' day, most people had life tough. Wasn't straightforward. Wasn't easy. Most of them were poor. They didn't necessarily know where the next meal was coming from. They had a government that was corrupt and they were ruled by a foreign power. They were ruled over by the Romans. They felt weak. And also their religion was no good. Their religion was full of rules. It was oppressive. It didn't help. And so they felt many of them a long way from God, overlooked, despised, dirty. wonder, how do you feel here this morning? And so these people, these men, have been followers of John. We see that here. And then they come to Jesus because they want to know, can he make life work for them? Is he the answer to the things they're concerned about? having enough for their family, dealing with the Roman occupiers, bringing about some sort of religious change that means God would seem accessible to them rather than very far away. And although they didn't know it at this point, they'd come to exactly the right place. Do you remember what we read in chapter 1 of John about Jesus Christ? Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus didn't come to bring rules. He didn't come so you could get out of bed earlier on a Sunday. He didn't come so that you could give some of your money to a good cause. He came so that you can have life. Not just life, but life in all of its fullness. Life absolutely abundantly. And so Jesus, after he said those words, said these words to those that were listening. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And what we're going to see here this morning are the very first steps of that. The very first people who realized the voice of Jesus was actually the voice of God, that he knew them in a way that was wonderful and utterly life-transforming. And they came to know that he had the words of eternal life. It's going to challenge all of us here today. What do we really want out of life? We live in a very rich country. We don't have some of the concerns that many people in this world do. And yet we face choices. The choice is, will we be real followers of Jesus and have life in all its fullness? 
or really will we live for something else? So three things today this passage shows us. Some, look, a couple of weeks ago, it was quite tough. Do you remember? We needed to know lots of Old Testament stories to understand what was going on. We're going to refer to two today, but basically this is much more straightforward. Here's the three things. Real followers of Jesus listen to Jesus. They really listen to him. Real followers of Jesus want others to meet Jesus. That becomes one of the things that gets us out of bed in the morning and makes life worth living, is that others come to know him. And real followers of Jesus have their lives transformed by him. They're changed from the inside out. And we're going to see all of those things just from here this morning. So the first thing, real followers of Jesus listen to him. The next day, Jesus is describing the week that leads up to Jesus' first miracle, where he turned water into wine. And that's why he keeps counting the days. The next day... John was there again with two of his disciples. So John the baptizer has been probably ministering for about a year. Two of his disciples are with him. And as Jesus passes by again, he points and says, there's the Lamb of God. And this time, these two guys pluck up the courage to start following Jesus, like literally following him down the road. That happened to me once on my way home from here once. A guy followed me back. That's quite disconcerting. And he didn't have the courage to talk to me until I'd nearly reached my house. And I just sent to him, I said, what do you want? And he said, Neil, I just can't find any peace. These guys turned and followed Jesus because they were looking for something. They didn't yet know what it was. Could this guy who looked so ordinary, so normal, who had been a carpenter for probably about 18 years of his life, whose probably his hands were marked with the damage that he'd done to himself over the years. Probably he was quite muscular sort of guy from all the physical labor he'd done. Could this ordinary looking bloke really be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world? So when the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus and turning around, Jesus saw them follow him and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, sign of respect. Where are you staying? And that, doesn't that strike you as a bit odd? It's not really the answer to the question, is it? They answered a question with a question. What do you want? And they said, where are you staying? That's not a conversation. That's a complete miss. But the reason is because they just can't get into it there and then. There's so much they want to ask. They're basically saying, Jesus, can we just hang out with you for a while? Can we spend some time? We, we can't get everything we want to ask you out now. So where are you staying? Can we come and just hang out with you? And so they did. Jesus said, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. They spent the day, remainder of the afternoon, the evening. A lot of people think they just crashed there overnight, just talking with Jesus, asking about him. We don't know the content of their conversation, but we know the sorts of things John the baptizer had said. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's God's chosen one. Here's the one who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And they were thinking, really? Can this man do these things? And do you see what happened? They were completely persuaded. Whatever Jesus said, the manner that he had, they were persuaded. So Andrew went and found his brother Peter. And you see in verse 41, it says, we found the Messiah. We've actually found the king. 
And the same thing happens with Philip. He goes running off to Nathanael, and in verse 45 says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is the one the whole of the Old Testament points towards. Whatever they heard convinced them Jesus was really everything he claimed to be. Real followers of Jesus listened to him. But the question for us should be, how? Because for them, in one sense, it was easy, wasn't it? If they wanted to talk with Jesus, they could have said, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and you'll see. And they could go and crash with him for the afternoon. It's not like we can go and knock at number 48, is it? And see, hello, Jesus, can we just spend the afternoon? So how do we listen to him? How do we build that sort of relationship with him, which is close and personal and real? and full of amazing love. How do we do that? Here's the thing. If Jesus was still here today, there are about two billion people on the planet who say they are following him. Imagine the queue. (laughs) If you wanted to kind of have time with him, that's a long line. Now, we're very good at queuing in this country, but it's going to take a long time. He would basically, how many watched last night and then saw the Paddington moment? I mean, basically, Paddington got to have tea with the Queen. Fantastic for Paddington. But let me tell you, 70 million of the rest of us didn't. Well, maybe you did. If you did, come speak to me afterwards. I certainly didn't. There was a distance. But when Jesus went back to heaven, he said, it's actually better for you guys, better for everyone that I go. And it was better for three reasons, three gifts that he gave. Here they are. The first one is he gave us his words. These words are written down. And in this word, there is life and light. There's what you need to know him, to hear his voice, to hear him speaking straight into your heart. And that word is powerful. It's not weak. It's the same word that made the universe. It is stronger than the ground on which you stand because it made the ground on which you stand. This word brings God's word straight into your heart and into your life. And Jesus sent his spirit The Spirit came from heaven into the hearts of each and every person who trusts in him. So that when you hear this read, if you do hear the voice of Jesus, that is an amazing sign. Because it means the Spirit is at work within you. And he gave you a third gift, which this passage is really about. He gave you others in this place who want to follow him. So Jesus, when he called people, he called them in little groups. Do you see that? He he sat down with two guys and talked with them. And in other places, with a slightly larger group of 12, and sometimes with a group of women or a family, he would do those things. Here's the thing. We learn how to listen to Jesus as we open God's word and invite his spirit to speak as we do that in community with others. I mean, in one place, one sense, you can hear from Jesus anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Some of you listen to a lot of podcasts, and I love that. And some of you send them on to me, encourage me in that way. Some of you read a lot of books. Some of you spend a lot of time in the Bible and praying on your own. But Christianity was never designed to be a solo project. 
It was designed that we would actually encourage one another in God's word and build one another up by listening to him together. If you want a practical way today of doing that, we've bought quite a number of these little gospels. They're just John. They're what you have in front of you. They're a lovely little format of this gospel. Could it be that you would meet with someone else here and read through this with them? Could be that you do it with one other person. Could be that you do it with two or three. And just commit to once or twice a month reading a chapter of this and then sitting down together and saying, what did you learn about Jesus? What did you learn about what it means to follow him? And here's the question. What changes would you need to make to your life right now so you could enjoy following him more? If you'd be up for that, then you can either speak to John over there. Give us a wave, John. Proper wave. There we are. Or Emily over there. So you can go either side of the church. If you know who you want to meet with already, that's fine. If you think, I don't know anybody here or anybody that would be up for that, we will help people to find one another to read this together. Do you know one of my happiest moments in my ministry in the last year? I loved the baptismal service here with James and Jason and Pat got baptized. The bit you didn't get to see were the Wednesdays we prepared. And I had these three lovely young Christians round a table and we just shared stories of God's amazing grace. There is no substitute for reading this with others, enjoying being together with others in the presence of God Almighty. Why not after today's service ask for two or three of these from John who's got them or from Emily who knows lots of people in this church and we can get you reading this together and your life will be impacted as you listen to Jesus. The second thing we see here is this. Real followers of Jesus want others to follow him. It says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying with him. They spent that day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. Many people think they then stayed overnight. They crashed there. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The very first thing, and most people think this is the next morning, Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, the King, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew is a bit part player in John's gospel. He comes up three times. Here, at the feeding of 5,000, do you remember that miracle? Do you remember there was a boy who had five loaves and two fish, his pat lunch, and was given to Jesus? It's Andrew who brought the boy to Jesus. And another moment, talking with someone about Greeks this morning already, some Greeks turn up to meet Jesus. Only other time that we see um, Andrew and John's gospel, some Greeks come, they want to talk with Jesus. Andrew says, come on, come on, I'll introduce you. All the way through the three stories, all Andrew does is he said, come on, you've got to meet Jesus. And you see, Philip does the same thing. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, where he did much of his ministry. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip did. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, so they probably all knew each other. And when Philip got there, there was one of his mates, the kind of serious one in the group. 
Do you know what I mean? So a lot of the guys were jokers, and uh, they probably um, quite easygoing, or uh, some of them quite violent. Uh, Nathaniel was none of those things. He was the serious one, the straight man. Um, but Philip liked him. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He kind of gives him a big build-up. You know, this is the one, the whole of history has been aiming towards this guy, right the way back from the beginning where God promised that someone would come and crush Satan's power. And then all the way through the promises to Abraham and then to David. And he's here. You ever been really excited about something in your Christian faith and you can't wait to tell someone else what you found and then they just burst your bubble? Look what happens to him. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Bubble burst. Because nothing good did come from Nazareth. The king came from Bethlehem. And Jesus wasn't known, as we know he was really born in Bethlehem. People didn't know that about him. They thought he was from Nazareth. And nothing good came from Nazareth. And so what's Philip's really smart comeback? What does he do when he doesn't know the answer to his friend's very valid point that nothing good comes from Nazareth, the king comes from Bethlehem, everyone knows that. How does he, how does he argue it? How does he persuade? He doesn't have a clue. Don't you find that reassuring? When you're asked a question you can't answer, he just says, come, you'll see. Come and you'll see. And so that is what happens. These two men, Philip and Andrew, as soon as they meet Jesus, their heart's desire is that others would come to know him. I wonder, who first told you about Jesus. Who was it who first taught you that he is the Son of God? That he's the one who died on the cross for our sins? That he's the one who rose again that we might have eternal life? Who first taught you? For me, it was my mum. I was six. You all know how old I am now, thanks to Sam. Only for a couple more weeks, then I'll be 49. Six years old. Went to bed and I was sobbing. My mum came in and thought I was sick. I said, I'm not sick. I said, Mum, what would happen to me if you and Dad died? And my mum took that moment to tell me about Jesus. To tell me that she could die and so could my dad. But if they did because they trusted in Jesus, they would go to heaven and be with him forever. And that was enough gospel for me that day to roll over and fall asleep in the comfort of knowing Jesus has conquered death. Do you know if you know Jesus here today, then part of your desire will be to make him known. If you're enjoying your walk with Jesus, it would just come more naturally. There's someone in here today who's having their toes done recently and got chatting to the person who did their toenails about Jesus because they love him. And when you love someone and you're enjoying your walk with Jesus, you just start talking about him. Some of us find it harder. We're more shy. We're very 
British. It's a handicap. But even we can get over ourselves when we love someone. Real followers of Jesus listen to him. And then they want to share what they've learned with those who don't know him because in him is life. And without him, there is no life. There's only darkness. Final thing. Real followers of Jesus have their lives transformed by him. Look at this here. Andrew brings Simon, his brother, fisherman, rowdy guy, not very handy with a sword. We'll find that out at the end. And he brings him to Jesus, and he's pretty much all over the place. And Jesus eyeballs him and looks at him and says, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And if you look down at the bottom there of your Bibles, Cephas in Aramaic, Peter in Greek, both mean rock. The best translation I've ever heard of this was done by Simon Dowlin. He renamed this guy who didn't have a clue, Rocky. Rocky. The one on which he would build his church. Peter didn't even know who he really was. He'd only just met him. But Jesus saw him and knew what he would become. The same is true in Nathaniel. Nathaniel, who just thought Jesus couldn't be anything because he came from Nazareth. What does he say in verse 47? When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He's a straight stand-up guy. You're not going to con Nathanael. He's going to tell you it as he sees it. If he thinks nothing good comes out of Nazareth, he's going to tell you that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He's not going to hold back. He's a straight shooter. And Nathanael goes, how do you know me? We've never met. I'm sure if I'd met you before, I would remember. You're kind of like being proclaimed as a big deal. You know, if we've hung out and met, how do you know who I am? And Jesus then says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, there is a 180-degree turn you don't often see. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. I'm, I'm going wherever you're going, Jesus. Just lead the charge. What made the difference? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. You amazed by that? You shouldn't be, because it's not amazing to you. No one knows why that was so significant to Nathaniel. People have their theories. One of the best is in a TV series called The Chosen. They think that Nathaniel was praying under a fig tree. And things that he said to God and were private between him and God alone, Jesus clearly knew. And he could only know that in a sense as if he'd picked up and heard 
his prayers. But the truth is, we don't know. It was something utterly private, something so significant that the fact that Jesus knew it meant Nathaniel just wanted to follow him. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I saw you, Jesus says. Brothers and sisters here this morning, those of you who are here but don't yet know Jesus, can I say this to you? He sees you. He sees you. He sees you sat where you are right now, down to the very core of your being. Your soul is naked before the God who made you. He sees you. It's part of Christ's claim to be God is that he sees us. Back in the Old Testament, it's not just wealthy or significant or important people that God sees. He sees us all. There was a lady called Hagar. She was a slave to a guy called Abraham who was and is a big deal. But she had fallen out with his missus and was on the run. And she didn't think she could provide any more for her children. She had nothing, nothing left. She thought she was going to die with her children. And God appeared to her and said, I see you. I see your situation and I care. He saw and she came up with this lovely name of God in Genesis chapter 16. You are the God who sees me. You see, as Jesus saw Nathaniel, he was seeing who he really was and also what he would become. As he saw Peter, he saw who he was and what he would become. And as he sees you here this morning, he sees who you are and he sees what you will become. If you belong to him, that is hugely reassuring. He sees who you are and he sees who you will become. How does your life become his? Well, look at where this passage begins and ends. How does that transformation happen? Begins at the cross. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when he said it before, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That transformation begins when we see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and takes away your sin and mine. That's where transformation begins. And that transformation finds its power at the cross and at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Look at the last verses with me. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Jesus essentially saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Then he adds these words. 
Very truly, I tell you. When Jesus doesn't want us to miss something, he adds that phrase, very truly, I tell you. So don't miss this this morning. Don't go home not understanding this one thing. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he talking about? There isn't one moment in John's gospel where that happens. Not one moment where that literally happens and these guys see that. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking here about a story from the Old Testament again where a very, very bad man called Jacob, who is a deceiver, the opposite of Nathaniel, a man full of deception, a man who robbed his unblind, aging father to get what he wanted, was on the run from his furious older brother when suddenly he lay down to rest and was so tired he put his head on a rock and fell asleep. And as he slept, he saw heaven open and a ladder, Jacob's ladder, reaching up to heaven and down again with angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And heaven itself opened to this wicked man and it began a transformation of his life. And Jesus says to this true Israelite, this good man, you ain't seen nothing yet. You will see heaven open and angels Ascending and descending on what? A ladder? No. On me. I will bring the blessings of heaven down to earth and I will lift you, you, up to the heavens. I am the way into heaven and I am the way that heaven's blessings come down. That is how transformation happens. It's when we lay our lives before Jesus at the foot of the cross and rise, he lifts us up from the dirt and the dust and the misery of our sin and our failing. And he opens heaven to us that we might talk with him, that we might be used by him, that we might have a life that becomes more and more filled with his light and his life and his love that others might look at us and see him. What do you want out of life? Do you know what I want to do? I want to see heaven opened. I want to see that day where I see the king. I want to live in his presence forever and know his love for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, there's only one life. It's soon going to pass. And only what's done Jesus will last. Only what's done for him. I don't know about you, but I found the Jubilee celebrations quite sad. Quite sad. Because the Queen is so frail. I mean, the Lord's answered our prayers long to reign over us. Thank you, Jesus. But our time here is coming to an end. There'll be the dawning of the kings. And who knows what that will look like. But there is an eternity ahead, brothers and sisters, for those of us who trust in Jesus.
the best lies ahead for our queen because she trusts in Jesus. And the best can lie ahead for you and me if only we'll trust in him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us often in your word, through your spirit, through our brothers and sisters here who you've called us to journey with you. We pray, Father God, you'd help us, Lord, just to reach out in love to those that don't yet know you. Lord, we find it hard. And yet, Lord, without you, there is no hope and you've given us so much. Help us to share. And Lord, we all have areas of our lives that are dark and broken, areas which shame us, things which drag us down. Help us, Lord, to bring those things to you, knowing that you died on the cross for those things. You died for us, Lord, at our worst. And you rose again so that we might live under your smile, under your blessing, a life full of grace and full of truth. Help us to believe these things, Lord, to live in them, to walk in them, to love you more. In Jesus' name.